Numbers chapter 8. Numbers chapter 8. Let us pray before we begin. Father, I just thank you so much, Lord, that we can go chapter by chapter through the Bible and in doing so just establish a foundation uh, to our faith, Lord, which is unshakable, even as it is, um, like Jesus said, building our house upon a rock. And Lord, we believe with all our hearts that the book of Numbers is part of that foundation, part of the rock which we are supposed to build our life on. And so I pray, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us as we um, are allowing you to build this foundation through the book of Numbers, Lord. Refresh us with this word, Lord. I speak for myself as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Numbers chapter 8, just a little foundation for what we're going to be speaking on today. Remember, the book of Exodus covers about a 14-month period, or includes a 14-month period from the time that they... Uh, uh, the children of Israel leave Egypt um, at the very end of the book of Exodus. You have uh, Moses uh, putting the tabernacle in place and the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle. After the book of Exodus, it's the book of Leviticus, and that is a period of about 30 days. And in terms of things that are going on in the book of Exodus, you have the priests uh, being uh, consecrated, and then you have the beginning, uh, really the first offering given, uh, in the uh, in the tabernacle, and um, at that time as well, uh, Leviticus uh, chapter nine verses twenty three and twenty four, you have uh, the glory of the Lord uh, uh, appearing in the tabernacle. Uh, <clears throat> in the Book of Numbers, the very beginning of the book, you have a census of the children of Israel, all except the Levites, and then you have a census of the Levites themselves. Uh, and then what you have in chapter 7 are all the leaders coming forth with an offering. Uh, that would be used for the service of the tabernacle. And in chapter 8, what we're going to see today, the beginning of, is the consecration of the Levites. I should say the non-priest Levites, because technically the priests uh, were uh, Levites as well. Not technically they were, but <clears throat> they were sons of Aaron. But um, uh, the, the rest of the Levites um, who do 
really the physical labor uh, um, of the tabernacle, they are consecrated in this chapter. Now, uh, we left off last week in Numbers chapter 7 with this, uh, uh, the, the, the leaders of each of the uh, of each of the of the tribes presenting an offering, uh, each of the offering was identical, although it was not uh, all at the same time. Uh, there was uh, one leader each day of of uh, twelve tribes. Um, other so all the tribes other than the Levites. Remember, there's uh, there's uh, there's although there are commonly referred to throughout the Bible as the 12 tribes. Uh, technically, there's 13 because Ephraim and, and, and Manasseh are both Joseph. But uh, the 12 tribes present an offering. Then we see this remarkable verse in uh, Numbers chapter 7 where Moses just goes right into the tabernacle of meeting. And it says that he heard the voice of one speaking to him from above the mercy seats. Wow. Well, what did he, uh, what, what did the Lord uh, say to Moses? That's what chapter, how chapter 8 begins. It says, and the Lord, verse 1 says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and say to him, when you arrange the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. So that is referring to the menorah there. And uh, it says, and Aaron did so, he arranged the lamps to face toward the front of the lampstand as the Lord commanded Moses. So the lampstand, the menorah, was the only source of light in the most holy place. Rather, it was the only source of light in the holy place behind the veil uh, was the most holy place. There was no, the lamp was not in there, although there was that fire of the presence of the Lord in between the cherubim, which would have uh, given been a source of light to that place. But the uh, most holy place where the rest of the vessels were, the table of the showbread, and um, uh, the menorah was uh, in there as as well, as well as uh, some of uh, the altar of the incense and some of the other vessels. Um, they were um, all in the dark and they were in the holy place. And so the um, the, uh, the the lampstand would have given light to them, and it was to be kept burning twenty four hours a day. It speaks of the presence of the Lord, but all, is also a picture of Jesus. John chapter eight verse twelve: "I am the light of the world." Uh, the uh, of course in in Matthew chapter five verse fourteen it says that you are the light uh, of the world, and so. Uh, with Christ uh, dwelling in us, uh, that is in fact true. We are the light of the world. So verse 4 continues, Now this workmanship of the lampstand was hammered gold from its shafts to its flowers. It was hammered work according to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses. So he made the lampstand. 
verse 5. And now you will see the uh, consecration uh, of the Levites. Now, as mentioned before, in chapter uh, 8, we had seen the consecration of uh, the priests. <clears throat> what had to happen with the priests in terms of uh, uh, in terms of them being prepared for their service, uh, they had to go through a baptism, had to make a, a sin offering uh, and um, other offerings uh, as uh, well, and uh, they were anointed with oil, this type of thing, before they entered the service of the Lord. The Levites, uh, the same thing. <clears throat> it says in chapter 8, verse 5, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them ceremonially. So they couldn't just go into the tabernacle and be doing different work or uh, going, uh, which included they did a lot of work around the uh, the, um, the altar where the offerings were offered, a lot of physical work there. But, um, again, there's this cleansing process, uh, before, um, a priest could go into the holy place or the or high priest into the most holy place, uh, in order to protect them from the holiness of God. Uh, they needed to go through certain baptisms and, and, and offerings, uh, and they needed to be cleansed. Same thing here with the Levites. They, in order to protect them from the holiness of God, the awesome holiness of God, the sinless presence of God, they had to go through a uh, uh, a similar process again. It was, it was not only a recognition of the holiness of God, but it's also the love of God. He's protecting them now. All this is fulfilled in Christ, and we can go right into the uh, not only the holy place, but the most holy place, and uh, we can have fellowship with God. and And the offering that <clears throat> was that um, the the offering that we took we ha had was really not done by us. It was done by Christ on the cross. But so all this is looking forward to Jesus um, on the cross, his perfect life his pr um, uh, that was credited to our account, his uh, death, which um, was a substitute for us, us deserving death because of our sin, but Jesus taking on our sin. And so it says, um, thus you shall cleanse them ceremoniously, verse 7, thus you shall do to them, cleanse them, sprinkle water of purification on them, let them shave all their body, and let them wash their clothes, and so make themselves clean. Verse 8, then let them take a young bull with his grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, and you shall take another young bull as a sin offering. And remember, a grain offering was an offering of thanksgiving. How true it is, how we need to remember, all of us who um, serve the Lord, that we are to serve him with thanksgiving. 
and uh, the oil there in verse 8 representing uh, the Holy Spirit and uh, the grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, a, just a, 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 an offering of, of thanksgiving, which is really a product of the, of the Holy Spirit doing a work of thanksgiving in us, so important. Um, but also, of course, the sin offering. And remember, it's not a called a trespass offering here. Um, that's because this is not for um, a specific sin. It's the fact that they were sinners, their nature, in their nature. They were sinners and they couldn't come in and uh, to the, the, the service of the Lord. They couldn't come into God's um, tabernacle um, area without their sin being covered, regardless of the fact that they may not have, uh, whether or not they have done a specific offense on that day. Uh, it's, it's their sin nature uh, that uh, needed to be dealt with. So this, thus the sin offering in verse 8. And then you shall bring the Levites before the tabernacle of meeting. You shall gather together the whole congregation of the children of Israel, uh, of Israel, so you shall bring the Levites before the Lord, and the children of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. Now, I I find that uh, fascinating. Now, this is very uh, th this particular verse where the children of Israel lay their hands on the Levites. I'm sure, wouldn't have been all of them, but a representative of them. In chapter eight, when the uh, the the the, the priests are being consecrated. Uh, it is true that you had, um, and, and in the ensuing chapters, when um, they begin to do their work, it is true that the uh, the congregation of Israel uh, can't come and witness it. In verse four of chapter eight of uh, of Leviticus, they uh, the congregation of Israel witnesses the consecration. Um, of the priests, the different offerings that were done, that type of thing. With the Levites, you have this additional procedure where they actually put their hands on them and, uh, you know, signified uh, the, um, that the, the, the Levites were doing assistance in the sanctuary on behalf of all uh, the children of Israel. Israel. Remember that uh, the, the Levites uh, were really the substitute for the firstborn of the other 11 tribes um, of the nation of Israel. So rather than each family giving their firstborn to the service of the tabernacle, God just took a whole tribe, the tribe of Levi, and he um, and so they are doing the work. So laying on of hands uh, uh, could have been signifying that, that they were going to be doing um, the service on behalf of the other 11 tribes. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I look at this and I, I also feel here that um, part of this is just a it, it is the, the children of Israel, by laying on hands, they're taking on some of the responsibility of holding these people 
accountable to their duties and vice versa. The Levites are, uh, are accountable to them. At Calvary Chapel in the city, we dedicate our um, uh, the babies, many of the babies that the, the people have in the church, they come and have a dedication of the baby. It uh, is not for the it's not for the baby because the baby uh, needs to make a profession of faith uh, later on in their own life. They need to uh, dedicate themselves. It's really for the parents. The parents are doing the dedicating. But the but I often remind the congregation that they are a witness to what is going on and they need to hold the parents accountable to the covenant they're making to raise their child in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so... Uh, uh, interesting here that that you have this uh this very this this congregational uh, participation and and there's also the sense here that the you know the levite that they're they're no better than anybody else um in in the nation of israel in fact um they're really a substitute for the firstborn of the other 11 tribes and i think of what jesus says in matthew 23 8 he says uh, uh, but you do not be called rabbi for one is your teacher the christ and you are all brethren so a pastor uh or a leader in the church is is just as much a brother uh than any other person uh in the church any other brother or sister in the church and there's no uh, th- there's no one who is um, really better than the other in the eyes of God. And so very interesting, this congregational participation. They lay their hands on the Levites. Verse 11, And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord like a wave offering from the children of Israel, that they may perform the work of the Lord. Then the Levite shall lay their hands on the heads of the young bull, and you shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. And so, just as you see in the beginning of Le- uh, Leviticus, where someone who brings a sin offering, they themselves put their hand on the bull, and actually they themselves are required to uh, slit the throat of the bull, uh, that 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 stark acknowledgement or a reminder that the blood of an innocent animal uh, that there you know reminds them of the the gravity of their sin and so uh, here as well the Levites are doing it the sin offering it's a burnt offering remember a burnt offering is a an offering of consecration uh, the sin offering is their sin nature uh, and so, uh, you know, they don't deserve, the sin offering is there because they don't deserve this, this privilege, but they're getting it as, uh, because of an act of grace on God, and God is providing them this way of service, this sin offering. Verse 13, and you shall uh, stand the Levites before Aaron and his sons, and uh, then offer them like a wave offering to the Lord. Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the children of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine. And after the Levites shall go into service 
uh, the tabernacle of meeting, so you shall cleanse them and offer them like a wave offering. For they are wholly given to me from among the children of Israel. I have taken them from myself instead of all who open the womb, the firstborn of all the children of Israel. So they are just repeating again that um, rather than taking the firstborn of each family, of each tribe, to for the service of the, of the, of the tabernacle and later the temple, God just takes a, a whole tribe as a substitute. Verse 17, For all the firstborn among the children of Israel are mine, both man and beast. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them to myself. I have taken the Levites instead of all the firstborn of the children of Israel, and I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the children of Israel to do the work of the children of Israel in the tabernacle of meeting, and to make atonement for the children of Israel, <clears throat> and there shall be no plague among the children of Israel when the children of Israel come near the sanctuary. Why is there no plague among the children of Israel uh, when they approach this, uh, the sanctuary? It's because of these sin offerings. It's because of these uh, ceremonial cleansing. Uh, it's it's uh, it's those by those things the children of Israel has uh, been protected because the Levites have gone through these ceremonial cleansing. Verse twenty then. Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel did to the Levites according to all that the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites. So the children of Israel did to them. And the Levites purified themselves. They washed their clothes. Then Aaron presented them like a wave offering before the Lord. And Aaron made atonement for them to cleanse them. And after that, the Levites went in to do their work in the tabernacle of meeting before Aaron and his sons. As the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so they did to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is what pertains to the Levites. From 25 years old and above, one may enter to perform service in the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And at the age of 50 years, they must cease performing this work and shall work no more. And so we uh, went over that in a previous chapter. Uh, there were requirements for the physical maturity, but also the spiritual maturity of going into the uh, uh, the service of the tabernacle. And then there was a retirement of sorts from the physical uh, work at 50 years old, they would have no doubt been uh, overseers and teachers and this kind of thing of the work. But the actual physical work ended when they were 50 years old. Verse 26, they may minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of meeting to attend to needs, but they themselves shall do no work. That is um, under 25 and over 50. Thus you shall do to the Levites regarding their duties. And so, uh, chapter 9. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year, after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. And so, uh, if you remember... The uh, the Israelites celebrated the Passover on the night they fled Egypt. 
and uh, so it's telling here after this 14, 15 months um, in Mount Sinai in which they received the law and which the instructions of the law were given, this type of thing. It was telling that they would celebrate their Passover um, for the first time since leaving Egypt right as they left Sinai and went towards the Promised Land. In Leviticus chapter 23, the instructions were given concerning the Passover, but here you have the first celebration since the giving of that law in, in, in Leviticus 23. Let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time, verse 2. Verse 3, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time according to all its rites and ceremonies, you shall keep it. So Moses told the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover, and they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did. Now, there were certain men who were defiled by a human corpse so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron that day. And these men said to him, We became defiled by a human corpse. Why are we kept from presenting the offering of the Lord at its appointed time among the children of Israel? And so uh, you really got to love these, these guys' hearts here. Uh, they were part of a funeral or otherwise um, assisted with... Uh, with a human corpse, a dead body, thus they became uh, unclean, unable to celebrate the Passover, and uh, they loved the Lord. They loved the Lord, and it just this is a reminder here that this is not a religious ceremony. This is something to connect the heart of God with His people, and vice versa. And they they didn't want to miss that opportunity. And so they're coming to him and saying, come on, you know, uh, it really wasn't our fault. <laughs> and so Moses says in verse 8, uh, he says to them, stand still that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. So important uh, that we stop and pray and not assume what an answer, what the answer is. You know, one might have thought that Moses uh, would have answered immediately here because clearly under the uh, previous law that was given uh, concerning the Passover, uh, he could have said no. Got to wait till next year. And so that's why it's so important, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, we may have prescribed ways of doing things, but we always need to be listening to the voice of the Spirit, that check of the Spirit in our hearts. And then Moses said to them, Stand still that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. How, how interesting. He didn't just rely on the law that had already been given. Their request made sense. And so he goes uh, to the Lord. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. 
So Moses went and inquired of the Lord, and verse 9 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If any one of you or your posterity is unclean because of a corpse, or is far away on a journey, he may still keep the Lord's Passover. On the fourteenth day of the second month at twilight, they may keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it till, until morning, nor break uh, one of its bones according to all the ordinances of the Passover. They shall keep it. And so the grace of God here, and this is also instructive of the fact that God wants the communion with us as more uh, as much as we want it with him. No, he wants it even much, much more. Again, uh, this isn't religion. It's not religious ceremonies. It's not boxes that need to be uh, checked off to make us righteous before the Lord. No, uh, it's all about grace and it's all about God drawing them in and wanting that communion and and. These people who were in a faraway place, away from where they could celebrate the Passover or they were defiled, uh, they were still uh, blessed by the Lord with the opportunity to celebrate the Passover. The Passover, of course, uh, is that wonderful, um, uh, that wonderful feast uh, celebrating the time where at the 10th plague, uh, the, the angel of the Lord went throughout um, all of Egypt, killing the firstborn. But that wonderful foreshadowing of Christ, the Israelites were told if you, um, uh, that they were instructed to slaughter a lamb, put some of the blood of the, lamb, uh, blood of the lamb on top of the doorposts and on each of the sides, just symbolizing uh, the cross uh, and the, you know, the blood that was... Um, the, the, the blood that was shed on Jesus' head because of the thorn and then his, his two sides and no doubt the blood dripping down to the ground uh, would have result, uh, resulted in blood, actually blood on the ground, which is uh, representative of the, um, the blood that came out from, from Jesus having a, an iron spike driven through his feet. Uh, this, this, this wonderful... Uh, a deliverance of the Lord, and the which was a a foreshadowing of Christ. And of course, the Lord wants His people uh, meditating on these things. The Lord delights uh, in the uh, when when His Son is glorified. He uh, delights. In that, he delights when people meditate on his son. Uh, I think of uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. It says, To him, meaning to God, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. And so the, the, the glory of the Lord... Uh, is reflected by Christ Jesus. That reflection of Jesus 
God loves to see it. He loves to see that reflection um, go out uh, to the Lord, to the world, his son being glorified. And he doesn't want um, any of his children through a mishap, uh, such as being defiled by a human corpse or, or otherwise, uh, to miss out on that opportunity to uh, reflect on, uh, on the coming Messiah. Uh, which was, this was a, a foreshadowing um, of that. And I do believe that the Spirit of God had, had started doing that work of getting people to look towards the future when uh, this would be happening in a, in a fuller way. Of course, they didn't have that perfect understanding. They were, um, they were seeking uh, and meditating upon the Lord and uh, sort of um, groping for the meaning of some things, but um, uh, these that th these were the reasons for um, these these feasts. And so, uh, in any event, verse thirteen. But the man who is clean and is not on a journey and ceases to keep the Passover, that same person shall be cut off from among his people. Now, whether that means um, executed or whether it means exiled in some way is unclear. But what is clear is that God takes these foreshadowings of Jesus incredibly seriously. And to just um, trivialize the feast and not celebrate it, uh, just to rebel, well, I don't feel like it this year. It's a serious thing. They, they were to be cut off because he did not bring the offering of the Lord at its appointed time, this man shall bear his sin. You know, usually when that, uh, you know, um, when that term is used, bear his sin, it does mean an execution. When you bear your sin, if you if you if if you die bearing your sin, um, you will spend the rest of eternity apart from God. Uh, in torment, if you bear your own sin, uh, Jesus bore our sin uh, for us. Uh, I think of uh, John chapter uh, eight, where uh, Jesus tells the Pharisees, "I say to you that you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am He. You will die in your sins." And so you will die bearing your sins is what he means. You will be judged for rejecting uh, the Messiah. Verse 14, And if a stranger dwells among you and would keep the Lord's Passover, he must do so according to the uh, rite of the Passover, according to its ceremony. You shall have one ordinance both for the stranger and the native of the land. And so um, how important it is to remember God's heart for the stranger, the immigrant, the foreigner, and how uh, we are reminded here of the role of the nation of Israel. They were chosen to be the country, country, the nation through which other nations, other people would start seeing God, how he operates, how he loves. And so strangers, foreigners were not denied um, the opportunity to celebrate the Passover. Verse 15, now on that, on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud 
covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, from evening until morning, it was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. And so it was always, the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, after that, the children of Israel would journey and in the place where the cloud settled, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. At the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey, and at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped. Even when the cloud continued long, many days before the tabernacle, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey. And so it was when the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain in camp, and according to the command of the Lord, they would journey. And so it was when the cloud remained only from evening until morning, when the cloud was taking up in the, up in the morning, then they would journey, whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey. Whether it was two days, a month, or a year that the cloud remained above the tabernacle. The children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. But when it was taken up, they would journey. At the command of the Lord, they remained encamped. And at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And so these verses, verses 15 through 23, to me are uh, a... A, a wonderful reminder and, and actually a charge to us at just the importance of obedience, to obey the Lord. So whether the cloud was over the tabernacle one day, it says, two days, a month, a year, you need to wait until the Lord says, go. You know, how, um, how difficult it is for me as a pastor to see people running off ahead of the Lord. And there are just certain circumstances and situations where uh, people run off, they start a ministry or they start a go at a job or they move away or, or they do one thing or another where clearly they're running ahead of the Lord. Everyone around them, godly men and women around them know they're doing it, but they are, are running ahead of the Lord. It's, it's, it's a dangerous uh, place to be um, outside of the will of the protection um, of the Lord. So important um, it is to obey. However, by the same token, how difficult it is as a pastor to see so many, so many who are gifted and should be going out serving the Lord in some capacity, so many who are just uh, staying back, uh, the Lord has clearly told them to move on uh, and to do um, a certain work for him. Uh, and they're not. They've gotten comfortable or, or they've given into fear and they're not moving out. Uh, how important it is uh, to uh, that, uh, that obedience is. Now, interestingly enough, uh, when the nation of Israel, there was about two or three million of people at, at this time. And so uh, they 
they they came and went and uh, according to whether or not this cloud raised up or not or whether it settled down uh, today with uh, the body of Christ uh, God's nation if you will all over the world uh, he he obviously can't have a cloud um, all over the world uh, instead um, he rules uh, by his presence uh, inside our heart at this time the 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 presence of the Lord the holy presence of the Lord was only in one place there. I mean, God is um, omnipresent, but in terms of uh, the, the the display of his presence, it was only uh, inside of the most holy place over the Ark of the Covenant. Today, uh, we are called in 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6, the temple, uh, the temples of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and as a result, we uh, decide um, or, or we get guidance as to whether to stay or whether to go or whether to stop uh, based upon seeking the Lord, based upon seeking the Lord. And, you know, in, in, in one sense, um, it, it's like, wow, wow, it would have been, it would be so much easier if I just had a, uh, a cloud uh, go up and down and and, and go out, and uh, uh, it would be so much easier uh, if that was the case. And you know something? God knows that about us. Uh, he knows that uh, we would not be seeking him with all our hearts, our minds, and our soul. It's one of the uh, beautiful things um, in a relationship with God is that he, we go through time periods where um, we don't know whether we're supposed, you know, what his will is, and we're seeking him. But we have the ability to hear from him because we have his presence, the presence of God inside of us. The last chapter of Second Corinthians, Paul says to, to to the Corinthians, "Do you not realize that Jesus Christ lives inside of you? He does uh, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit." And and um, so we have, we really have the privilege of, of seeking, uh, seeking out God's will. And uh, uh, Colossians chapter 3 uh, says in verse 15, let the peace of God be the umpire of your heart. Let's, uh, meaning, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Uh, and and so being guided of whether we go to the right or to the left, forward, up, down, stay uh, in the same place by whether or not we have that peace of God. In terms of seeking out the will of the Lord, no verses in the Bible are more uh, relevant, in my opinion, than Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable which is your reasonable service. So there needs to be a life of obedience, verse 1, coupled with 2, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, meaning, uh, coupled with a life of obedience, being in the word of God, that's how... The, the reference to being transformed by the renewing of our mind and just seeking his will. Um, and as James says in chapter five, uh, chapter one, verse five, if 
When we lack wisdom, he will give liberally. Now, sometimes it does take time. God wants us to be seeking him uh, for uh, a season of time, a season of days, a season of weeks. Sometimes it's, it's, it's months, months. But God is, um, he is more than happy to give us wisdom. But in his good pleasure, in his good wisdom, he withholds sometimes those specific directions. But here uh, in a different epoch, in a different covenant, uh, it's just the cloud uh, settling down, raising up and moving that the Israelites follow. Chapter 10 verse 1 says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, make two silver trumpets for yourself. You shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for calling the congregation for directing the movement of the camps. And so um, up to this point, we have seen trumpets. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 24, in the day of atonement, you have the shofar uh, that was blown, a ram's horn. But here there is made uh, one out of, uh, out of silver hammered work and uh, this would be used to call the nation of Israel together remember with uh, two or three million people or more that cloud goes up not everyone necessarily sees it they they need it to be um, they need to be uh, have some kind of uh, signal of what has happened and so horns were used for that purpose uh, verse 3 says, When they blow both of them, all the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. But if you blow only one of them, then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel, shall gather to you. So if only one was blow, blown, there may have been other purposes to gather the leaders uh, together. Verse 5, When you sound the advance, the camps that lie on the east side shall then begin their journey. When you sound the advance the second time, the camps that lie on the south side shall begin their journey. They shall sound the call for them to begin their journeys. And when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but not sound the advance. The sons of Aaron, the priest, shall blow the trumpets, and these shall be to you as an ordinance throughout all your generations. It's interesting that you have priests blowing these trumpets um, as opposed to uh, perhaps uh, some of the military personnel in the other, uh, the other tribes of Israel, or not even a Levite, it's a priest. And uh, some signify the, just, uh, just the importance um, or you can't really separate really the, 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 the spiritual guidance from the movement of this camp. It's all about what the Lord is wanting. And, and so the priests here are the ones blowing the trumpet. Verse 9, when you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets and you will be remembered before the Lord your God and you will be saved from your enemies. Not that God needs a remembrance by the blowing of a horn, but we need to know that God remembers us, uh, or they need to, needed to know that God remembered them. 
I mean, it's kind of a similar thing with, 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 uh, praising the Lord in our prayer life. Uh, God knows who he is. He knows who his character is. We need to be reminded of that. Of course, he, 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 he loves to hear us, uh, praise him as well. Now, this verse in verse nine, if you pick it apart, it is an interesting verse. Uh, uh, many have pointed out that, um, God gave a specific portion um, of land to Israel, um, had them settle there, and there uh, never is any provision for them going out and making an empire. Uh, notice how it says, when you go into the land and your enemy oppresses you. It doesn't say, and then when you go out and venture into another land and you approach an enemy. It says when it's really a, a defensive thing here, you shall blow uh, the trumpets. Uh, fascinating thing. Uh, you know, war is responsible for just uh, some of the, uh, if not most of the worst horrors uh, throughout all of human history. And just the amount of pain, the amount of suffering uh, that has happened in in war, uh, the just the violence. Well, God hates violence. That's why the flood. If you read the reason for the uh, flood in in Genesis chapter six, it was the violence that covered the face of the earth. And here um, you have this, and you never do see Israel Israel going out on the offensive and building an empire. Very very different from really the rest of the history of the world throughout. Um, the history of the world, uh, since the fall of man, you have uh, nations building empires. Uh, uh, Egyptian Empire, the Assyrian Empire, the, the Syrian, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and uh, the Romans, and so on and, and, and so forth. The eyes of man are never satisfied. And uh, when an when a particular emperor gets a certain amount of land, it's never going to be enough. It's never enough. The eyes of man are never satisfied. There's always more that can be conquered. It's been said that when um, Alexander got all the way to India, he wept because there was no uh, more lands to conquer. Whether that is a legend or not, I do not know. I do know this, that um, man... I do know this, that that story indicates the truth that man just always wants more, 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 more. Very interesting uh, to me. Uh, the nation of Israel was never afforded that latitude to go off and make uh, an empire for themselves. Verse 10, also in the day of your gladness and your appointed feast and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings and they shall be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. And so we're reminded yet again that <clears throat> the the the. God wants his people uh, serving him in gladness. When we do not have joy in our life, it is, is an indication that something is wrong. God loves to see his people filled with joy and gladness as they're serving him and going about their business. 
It says in verse 10 again, also in the day of your gladness and your appointed feast. So they weren't going through these feasts that were um, uh, given to them uh, as a requirement that they celebrate each year, but they weren't checking off a box. It, it, was, it was joy, the joy of the Lord. Verse 11, quite a, a significant verse because they begin their journey from Mount Sinai right to the promised land. Now, of course, we're going to read, they're going to get right up to the border and they are going to rebel. And it's going to take them a lot longer than uh, what was originally planned because of their rebellion and sin. But here it is, they begin their journey. Uh, Mount Sinai had had its purpose. It was the giving of the law. It was the uh, the building of the tabernacle. It was the beginning of the offering. It was the consecration of the priests and the Levites. But now they are to set forth, set out towards the promised land. Verse 11, Now it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month in the second year that the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle of the testimony, and the children of Israel set out from the wilderness of Sinai on their journeys. Then the clouds settled down on the wilderness of Paran. So they started out for the first time according to the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. I'll just repeat that because that's an important verse, verse 13. So they started out for the first time according to the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. How did they know what the command of the Lord was? Because that cloud was taken up from the tabernacle. And it's like, oh, wow, it happened. He said it was going to happen, and it did. It, it, it raised up. I guess we're supposed to leave now. Uh, trumpets went off, and they set out. Verse 14, the standard of the camp of the children of Judah set out first, according to their armies. Over their armies was Nat. Nashon, son of Amminadab. Verse 15, over the army of the tribe of the children of Issachar was Nathaniel, the son of Zuar. And over the army of the tribe of the children of Zebulun was Eliab, the son of Helon. Verse 17, then the tabernacle was taken down. We saw all the instructions um, about that. And the sons of Gershon and the sons of Merari set out carrying the tabernacle. Remember, that was the sons of Gershon and the sons of Merari. That was their responsibility to carry. It says in um, verse 18, And the standard of the uh, camp of Reuben set out according to the armies. Over the army was Eluzer, the son of Shiduar. Over the army of the tribe of the, the children of Simeon was Shalumil, and the son of Zerushadai. And over the army of the tribe of the children of Gad was Eliasaph, the son of Duel. Then the Kohathites set out carrying the holy things. Remember, uh, the, the sons of Gershon and Merari uh, carried stuff like the boards of the tabernacle, the holy things, uh, such as the, uh, the menorah, the table of the showbread, the altar of incense, the Kohathites, that was their responsibility the tabernacle would be prepared for their arrival. And the standard of the camp of the children of Ephraim, verse 22, set out according to their armies. Over their army was Elishama, the son of Amahud. 
Verse 23, over to the army of the tribe of the children of Manasseh was Gamaliel, the son of Pedashazor. And over to the army of the tribe of the children of Benjamin was the Ab- Abadan, the son of Gideon, Nai. And the standard of the camp of the children of Dan, the rear guard of all the camps, set out according to their armies. Over to the army was Ahiezer, the son of Amishadai. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Asher was Pagiel, the son of Okran. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Naphtali was Ahari, the son of Enine. Thus was the order of march of the children of Israel according to the armies when they began their journey. So there, um, they've begun their journey. Uh, but then you have this interesting incident in verse 29. Now Moses said to Hobab, the son of Reel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will treat you well, for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. And he said to him, I will not go, but I will depart to my own land and to my relatives. And Moses said, please do not leave. Inasmuch as you know how we are to camp in the wilderness, and you can be our eyes. And it shall be, if you go with us, indeed it shall be, that whatever good the Lord will do to us, the the same will be be to you. So uh, just an important principle here that although we have the Spirit of the Lord to guide us, we are to live um, as people in the world with the, uh, in many respects, with the, you know, using our common sense and, and taking advantage of the same type of things the world does in order to live our everyday life. Uh, we're supposed to be not of the world, but we're supposed to be in the world. And the world is supposed to be observing us going through the same kind of hardships as, as everyone else. And so just as missionaries uh, in the jungle, uh, in the Amazon jungle, uh, I've been down there a couple of times, they will use uh, Indians as guides. They're not going to say, well, I'm just going to be guided by the Holy Spirit as I make my way uh, through this jungle, never mind the fact that um, I don't know where the... Uh, you know, the poisonous snakes are and the tarantulas and I can't identify. No, that's hyper-spiritual nonsense. Um, God wants us to be be living in the world, dwelling in the the land, feeding off his faithfulness, but also um, living as any man does in many respects. I I, I think often on, on this subject of, of Jesus, when he was in danger in the book of John, uh, a couple of times it says he hid himself. And um, he didn't say, well, you know, I'm the, I, I, I'm the son of God and therefore, you know, I know if anyone tries to lay their hands on me, they're going to be zapped by a bunch of angels. No, he was not only the son of God, he was the son of man, needing to go the, to, through the very same things that we do. And so... Um, here you see the same type of thing. He's asking uh, uh, Hobab to, uh, he was a, a man of, of the wilderness, 
uh, probably a, a, a Bedouin type of thing. He was familiar with the wilderness. Moses doesn't even know at this point that his journey is going to be 38, 39 years longer than originally planned. He's really going to need this guy. So uh, this this was of the Lord. I think you'll read some commentators that say Moses was fleshing out here. And, and I just think that kind of uh, thing is hyper-spiritual nonsense. He's, he's um, taking advantage of, uh, of a guide that the Lord had put in his way. Verse 33, so they departed from the mountain of the Lord on a journey of three days. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them for a three days journey to search out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was above them by day when they went out from the camp. And so it was, whenever the ark set out, the mo and that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. In verse 36, And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. And so how important that is, just in verse 35 and 36, that to always be mindful of the Lord when we, were, when we set out doing whatever we're doing, that we don't flesh out and run out before we pray and really commit what we're doing to the Lord and remember, wow, do we need the Lord's presence for us to be successful in this venture that we're doing uh, reminded of what we just read about in John chapter 10, where it says that uh, Jesus uh, says of himself, the good shepherd, he calls his sheep and he leads them out uh, and he goes before them. So important that we remember that and we don't go out just full of ourselves uh, because we're going to run into a problem. We go out poor in spirit, recognizing that um, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, that, that God will, will, will guide us if we are relying upon him. And then, of course, um, when it rested, it said, Return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel to remember upon every milestone in our in our life that it was the Lord uh, that uh, got us there Ebenezer the Lord has helped us thus far and just to remember that not to arrive at uh, some particular milestone or destination or whatever graduating from college or uh, taking a license exam or uh, completing a project at work or uh, completing a, a you know a, a ministry at, at at church or some project at church or even finishing a Sunday school class or finishing a sermon uh, I, I know I always need to remember oh thank you Lord thank you that you gave me that message and just acknowledging that it was the Lord that brought us there so a wonderful uh, ending to uh, chapter 10. And so God bless you. And we will pick this up in Numbers chapter 11.